0: From St. Louis Public Radio.
1: This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. On January 22, 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on the Roe v. Wade case made abortion legal across the country. Then in June 2022, that ruling was overturned. And in the minutes that followed, Missouri led the nation as the first state in the U.S. to enact an abortion ban. A new lawsuit challenging the ban claims that prohibiting abortion in such fashion doesn't just violate the separation of church and state, but also the beliefs of other religions. Today, the day after the Roe decision turned 50 years, we have three guests to speak to that. All have their own faith traditions, All are motivated by personal and spiritual convictions to overturn Missouri's abortion ban, and each of them is one of 13 named plaintiffs in the lawsuit. And those gifts are, or guests, who are also gifts, are Maharat rory Pekernice, Executive Director of the Jewish Community Relations Council of St. Louis. Welcome. Thank you. Reverend Barbara Pfeiffer. Missouri Democratic Representative in St. Louis, and ordained United Methodist Pastor. Welcome to you. Thank you. And Bishop Dion Johnson of the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. Elected in 2019, he's the diocese's first black bishop and its first openly gay bishop. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Reverend Freifer, you were elected to the Missouri House in 2020. You joined a legislature that one year prior had passed a law known as a trigger ban intended to prohibit nearly all abortions in Missouri if the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. And that happened in June 2022, as we said at the top, which triggered that state ban. What has it been like as a legislator, who is also a faith leader, a reverend, watching this happen from your seat in the Missouri House?
3: It's been distressing. Over and over again, what I see are legislative attempts to say that women are not fully human. And that is directly contrary to my religious beliefs. We even had a representative last year introduce legislation that would make it illegal for a woman to get treatment for an ectopic pregnancy that is never viable. And so to see the kind of disregard for the humanity of women is distressing on a deeply, deeply personal level. It's an affront to my faith and and certainly a concern for me as a representative when I think about the needs of my constituents. Mm
1: -hmm. And an ectopic pregnancy is when the egg implants Outside the uterus is that correct? That is true. Okay. Marat Rory, at the announcement of this lawsuit last week, you addressed the argument that life begins at conception and called it a quote, "a theological statement that has no place in Missouri law. Can you explain in sort of non-religious layperson terms what theology is? Theology is.
0: The ways in which we try to understand the world, the ways in which we try to understand God, the divine, we might use different terms for it. And so as we talk about abortion, we talk about so many questions that we struggle to understand. What does it mean to begin life? How do we understand life? This is something that's really beyond what science has clear definitions of? What does it mean to have potential life? All of these are deeply religious questions that our faith communities for thousands of years have worked to come to some kind of understanding that makes us feel comfortable in a vast world that's difficult to understand.
1: And in the context of this lawsuit, why did you make that argument about theology and the life at conception belief? Well, simply put, there is no one
0: clear definition of when life begins in science, but there's no one clear definition of when life begins in our faith communities. In the Jewish tradition, we look back to biblical sources that make very clear that while we evaluate life, we talk about what to do if somebody kills somebody inadvertently, if somebody kills somebody on purpose. And there are punishments that are enacted for that. There are penalties for those crimes. And very explicitly in the book of Exodus, it references that if somebody knocks a woman who's pregnant and she miscarries, that penalty is not the penalty as one who takes a life. And so when we look at those definitions of, of how we understand what does it mean for someone to be a fully formed, breathing, independent, capable of sustaining life person versus what does it mean to be an embryo or a fetus, those ultimately become theological statements to say that life begins at conception, because that's not based on scientific reality, but it's also not
1: something that every one of our religious traditions would agree with. Mm-hmm. No, Bishop Johnson, uh, misery lawmakers who support the ban on abortion often talk about their Christian faith, We'd be very clear about that. Citing scripture as evidence, and Mara Rory has just mentioned Exodus, which is you know, part of the Old Testament for those who um, who have the the Christian or Catholic Bibles. One lawmaker said, "Quote to me, God doesn't give us a choice in this area. He is the capital C Creator of life." The Episcopal Church uh, reads and is led by the same Bible, however it has opposed laws banning abortion since the 1960s. Bishop Johnson, does this debate really come down to Christian scripture or something more?
2: Well, I I think it comes down to, in many ways, wanting to hold on to control, but also to put one biblical interpretation as the foundation for either creating laws or for um, establishing authority. Um, In the Episcopal Church, we see um, a three-legged stool that um, informs our theology and our thinking. So we we rely on scripture, tradition, and reason in balance for us to come to decisions.
1: And that reason part, could we say that that is science? Is that? Yes.
2: Yes. It's informed by science. I mean, our thinking is um, both religion and science are looking to find truth. We just mm-hmm. approach it from different ways. Um, religion approaches it from the heart and science approaches it from the head. But this, the heart and the head must be in conversation with each other.
1: Bishop, can you provide a similarly layperson friendly description of doctrine the way um, Marhat Rory did with doctrine, or I'm sorry, with theology?
2: Well, I would agree with her. Um, theology is us seeking to understand that which is un, which is not understandable. We, we cannot fully know God's mind. And so theology is the study of how God interacts in our world and how we interact with God.
1: And Episcopalians, they do have that historic support for abortion rights. Can you speak a little bit more to that?
2: Well, as you mentioned, from the 1960s, the Episcopal Church has been in support of um, women's reproductive rights. Um, and we are a part of, as the, the church, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, um, because one of the things that binds us together is this thing called the baptismal covenant. It's a covenant. It's a covenant that we make um, at our baptism, and a part of that is to respect the dignity of every human being. Um, and we see this in many ways as a way of living out that aspect of the covenant in respecting the dignity of those who may become pregnant in making decisions that are best for them and their families.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, Reverend Barbara, um, lawmakers often refer to America as a Christian nation. From your perspectives, are things more complicated than that?
3: Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and certainly the founders of our country were very careful not to describe our country in those ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, the establishment clause is something that I think is a true gift to our country, uh, saying that every person in our country not only has the right, but actually has the duty to think deeply about what they believe and then how they act that out in their lives.
1: We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. I'm Elaine Cha. Now, this lawsuit that is being brought, that we're talking about, um, it it has been brought by the National Women's Law Center and Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Now, the three of you are among 13 plaintiffs, all of whom are faith leaders. Um, Why did you decide, Bishop Dion? to be part of this legal challenge?
2: Well, I'm, I'm many things, but one of them is I'm an immigrant from a different country, so I've, I've called the United States my home. Mm-hmm. And in a pluralistic society, one faith, one tradition, cannot dictate the terms of how we live our common life over another. Um, and in many ways, this feels as though this has been a co-opting of parts of the Christian faith to laud it or hold it over those who may have a different faith understanding or those who may have no faith at all. Mm-hmm. And so for me as an Episcopalian, um, as a faithful follower of Jesus, we believe that the Bible is a story of our salvation through God's grace and not the literal word of God. Um, we also believe in human agency.
1: Mara, Rory, you are not coming from Christian tradition, obviously. the same question to you why did you decide to be part of this legal challenge
0: I agree with a lot of what Bishop Dion said part of what has made America a country that the Jewish community has found to be a sanctuary a place where our community has thrived has been because of the civil liberties that have been afforded to us that have been denied, honestly, in just about every other country that we've lived for the past 2,000 years. It's not something that we take lightly. And so it's incredibly important for us that, for me, being part of this lawsuit is not about wanting to see Jewish law reflected in the statute. It's about saying that anytime any of our religions can try to dictate law for all people, it becomes dangerous for all of us, but particularly for those of us who are in minority communities.
1: This new lawsuit argues that Missouri's ban on abortion violates the state constitution, which orders that, quote, "...no preference shall be given to, nor any discrimination made against, any church, sect, or creed of religion, nor any form of religious faith or worship." Now, this lawsuit is arguing that by banning abortion, it is giving preference to a particular religion. And to prove that, it includes statements made by lawmakers who cited their religion as they voted for the trigger ban in 2019, like this remark at the time from Representative Catherine Swan.
3: Yesterday, there was a lot of dialogue regarding religion, religious beliefs, how this weighs into our decisions, how this weighs into what we do in this chamber. Lest we forget, why did our country, why was it formed to begin with? Opportunity, freedom, freedom of religion and faith and it was all based upon a foundation of faith. We just recited the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation under God is that not how we built this country?
1: That was former representative Catherine Swan speaking to the Missouri House in February 2019 as they debated passing a quote trigger ban on abortion. The law was passed and did indeed trigger after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June and that in a matter of, of minutes. Reverend Pfeiffer, in this view conveyed by Representative Swan, to what extent does it reflect the way many other very openly religious lawmakers view their role?
3: I don't believe I can directly answer that question. Um, For example, I I don't know this particular lawmaker. I have not had in-depth discussions with particular lawmakers. I can speak to my own views. I am from the United Methodist tradition, and we are very similar to the Episcopalians. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bishop Dion talked about a stool. I think we have a chair. Uh, We talk about using scripture, tradition, reason, and experience as well. And I think the experiential aspect is very important. Faith is about experience, life experience, and how we make sense of the world that we have experienced and our understanding of God. But the reality is that there are 6 million people in the state of Missouri. And so we're going to have vastly different experiences. And to enshrine a particular experience of God in our state law is very dangerous. And
1: are there any
3: personal experiences that you have
1: had as a religious leader or as a believer yourself um, that make you particularly invested in what is happening
3: with this challenge? Oh, absolutely. I uh, am a mother. I'm a grandmother. Um, when I was much younger, I experienced what's called a missed abortion. and One of the things, this is parenthetical, but one of the things that I find very interesting is somehow, in a lot of the discussion, people say, well, we're not talking about those abortions, but the reality is abortion is abortion. And it is a health care issue. I uh, had the experience of a fetus dying, and the state of Missouri was not equipped to deal with that. And for five weeks, I carried a dead fetus. I could have died. Sepsis can occur. And finally, I had a DNC, um, but I could have died. Mm -hmm. I also experienced miscarriage. One thing people don't seem to understand in this discussion is between 20 and 25% of all pregnancies end in miscarriage or um, other kinds of of endings, natural endings Mm -hmm. of, of pregnancy. And so people who are not doctors, people who are not experiencing what it means to be pregnant, really are not capable of uh, making those decisions. If women are indeed full human beings, they have to be the people who make autonomous decisions for their own health care.
1: Now, insofar as proponents of the ban and their responses to the lawsuit, do you think that there is any irony in their criticisms? Uh, Mara Rory?
0: It's hard not to see the irony in in the responses that we've received so far from some of the individuals. First, to go back to what I said before, for those who have tried to say that this is not faith-based but is based on science and yet the basis that we've seen continuously has been religious arguments and I want to really emphasize very specific religious arguments that are not the religious arguments that you're hearing from the three of us here today. But we've also seen individuals who have very proudly stood up and said that they will continue in this fight, that they're determined to make Missouri the safest state for all children, born and unborn, I believe is what they've said. And that's a really painful statement for me because I have been on this show before as a mother of a trans child, fighting against legislation, um, bills that are coming up again, one of which is happening tomorrow at 8 a.m. in the state legislature. And this is not the safest state for my child.
1: We're speaking about a lawsuit that has been filed by 13 religious leaders um, in order to overturn Missouri's near total ban on abortion. And we're speaking with Bishop Dion Johnson, Maharat Rory Pickernese, and Reverend Barbara Pfeiffer. Uh, Bishop Johnson, in terms of how your congregants have responded to the ban, can you speak a little bit to um, what they've been talking about and what they've been saying to you or asking you?
2: Well, I've been hearing so since Roe v. Wade was overturned, um, I've heard from so many folks across my diocese, the Diocese of Missouri is the eastern half of the state, Um, the sense of loss um, and the the sense of almost hopelessness um, in that this has happened. Um, And since this lawsuit has been filed, we've received emails and notes from folks um, applauding and saying it's about time that um, a different religious voice stands up um, especially for those who are potential to be to have the potential to become pregnant, mm-hmm. um, th- one of the things that I've been saying is we forget our history. We tend to look back at our founding fathers and somehow say that, you know, they founded us as a Christian um, nation, and that's not true. Um, we forget that in God we trust, and under God was added to the to the and to the Pledge of Allegiance, and all of that came about in the 1950s. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Prior to the 1950s, under God was not in the Pledge of Allegiance, and God we trust was not on the money. Um, So we tend to forget our history. Um, The other irony in all of this is that most of those founding fathers were Episcopalian, (laughs) and they were very clear that they had to be, in Jefferson's word, a wall between the church and the state because they fled religious tyranny from England.
1: Do adherents within um, your larger community, uh, Reverend Barbara, um, do they think of what is happening now as something that is a, a new attack? Um, is it a, a new sort of development in the way that um, law and society is responding you know, in a particular moment in time when there is polarization politically?
3: Again, I am, I'm reluctant to speak for everybody. Oh, of I, course. I, I am very happy to speak for myself. And yes, I, as, as a person of faith, I am very concerned about this. And we can see that there's a lot of legislation already in the state of Missouri that would uh, penalize People who experience abortion um, and have felony charges for murder—that mm-hmm. um, has been there have been rumblings of that in the past, but we're, we're seeing this come to the forefront. It's very dangerous.
1: Now there have been some official reactions to the lawsuit to bring it back to that point. Last week, Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey basically said this law this trigger ban on abortion isn't about religion. He said, quote, I want Missouri to be the safest state in the nation for children, and that includes unborn children. And Mara, Rory, you mentioned that earlier. Republican Rep- Representative Caleb Browden, who represents Boone County, that's uh, in Columbia, I believe is part of that, called the lawsuit, quote, foolish, and said legislators were acting on the belief that life is precious and should be treated as such. How do you respond to to that?
0: I don't know if I'm qualified to have an official response. I want to be careful in how I tread around it. But I do want to say that I I, I think that the others who are joining with me would agree that none of us are saying that life is not precious. We absolutely believe that life is precious. And we believe that to truly honor life is to recognize the fullness of what that means of how somebody lives their life. That to force somebody, my heart just breaks every time I've heard Reverend Barbara's story. To force somebody to carry a dead fetus for five weeks is not about the sanctity of life. Mm -hmm. To force somebody, into a situation that is unhealthy for them, that endangers their life, that endangers them, whether it is physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that does not honor the sanctity of life. And so for me, as we go forward with this lawsuit and ask Missouri to recognize the diversity of the people who are represented in this state, That is us saying that we too are honoring the sanctity of life and that to truly honor all people is to give them authority over their bodies to know that the choices that they make, whether it's in consultation with their spiritual leaders, in consultation with medical professionals, that they know what is best for
1: them in their lives. So the term choice is something that I'm interested in hearing from each of you about. Um, We'll start with you, Bishop Johnson. Bishop Dion yes when it comes well, to you know pro pro-choice as a label that might be applied to any one of you how does that miss n- nuance
2: well w- one of the misconceptions is that pro-choice means pro-abortion and that is not necessarily the case um, I mean we cannot claim that human life is sacred and continue to be a state that has the death penalty that takes life. We can't claim to be a state where life is sacred and we don't equip mothers and young children with the things like neonatal care and pre-kindergarten and you know all the things to sustain said life. Um, so pro-choice means that we are seeing all life as being sacred and sometimes that allows for abortions and that might necessitate, necessitate that the decision for an abortion might be for the greater good. Um, I mean, our church acknowledges that there will be loss whenever a decision, the decision is made to have an abortion, but it also acknowledges that there will be circumstances where that loss may be for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, so pro-choice and looking at the sacredness of life aren't incompatible. Um, we see being pro-choice as recognizing that all human life is sacred.
1: There's a saying I remember pastors repeating a whole lot when I was a, a teen and young adult, um, and part of a you know Protestant church community, um, and it was "Be in the world, but not of the world." Is that a refrain that is familiar to any of you, <laughs> Reverend Barbara? You're you're nodding. Um, how does that sit with you in the context of the in real world realities that accompany abortion?
3: I think I would interpret that as saying um, every every human being has a responsibility to think deeply about what's most important to them, that we don't simply listen to the buzz around us and we make decisions that are congruent with our most deeply held beliefs. And so for me to be in the world and not of the world is to say that only women are equipped to make decisions about their bodily autonomy. If women are truly created in the image of God, if God breathed into life human beings, scripturally we certainly have a definition then of humans as being created and beginning life at breath. And starting from there, sentient, autonomous human beings, all of us, women and men, need to be able to make decisions for our own selves, about our bodies.
1: Maharat Rory, what has it been like to be in, uh, in community with other, um, other people of faith, other Jewish people, um, and having them consider abortion from an expressly spiritual and not just religious place?
0: not sure if we would always make the distinction between the religious and the spiritual in that sense, but in my experience, when somebody comes to a faith leader, when somebody comes to their rabbi to talk about that process of considering an abortion, they're looking for what our ancient tradition has to offer by ways of wisdom and by ways of comfort. How do we understand our responsibilities? What's the greater truth, the greater experience, the greater reason, to use some of the terms that some of my colleagues here have referenced, that we can access to help us during what for many is not a simple time. And so I think it's important to really emphasize, as I think I'm hearing all my colleagues say also, that for many of us who are spiritual leaders in this, who are religious leaders and faith leaders, it's not something that we talk about lightly. I don't think that joining this lawsuit was a simple thing to do and i don't think that this lawsuit is reflective of the different ways that each of us would counsel somebody, would talk to somebody, would advise, would would comfort, would any of the things that we would do as faith leaders. But what we're fundamentally saying is is that when one religious view is enshrined into law, it undermines the freedoms that all of us have, and it threatens the democracy that we all benefit from.
1: Maharat Rory Pickernese is executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council of St. Louis, Reverend Barbara Pfeiffer is Missouri Democratic Representative in St. Louis, and ordained United Methodist pastor, and Bishop Dion Johnson is a bishop with the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri. Thank you all so much for speaking with us today about the, the lawsuit to challenge Missouri's um, near-total ban on abortion. This episode was produced by Danny Wysentowski.
2: Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer.
3: St. Louis on the Air is
2: a production of St. Louis
3: Public Radio. (music) Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly
0: supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group.